Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we sit down with everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to the show. Now, if you've listened to the podcast before, you might have heard me mention a surprise kind of interview conversation coming up, and uh, it happened, and that's what this show is. It's uh, a fantastic conversation with none other than Elliot Smith from the Golden Globe Race 2022. We sat down in uh, St. Augustine, Florida. Uh, We were in actually a little college library. That was the place we found to be able to have a quiet spot. So we do whisper a little bit, but uh, I think the audio is pretty good. It was fantastic. This guy uh, is just amazing. Total kindred spirits. He's got an incredible story. We, you know, I didn't want to just ask him to tell me what happened. Uh, I really had a few questions about what it's like to go and sort of be on the center stage on the world stage of sailing and go through the process and all that sort of stuff. So we get into some pretty cool subjects. And uh, like I said, uh, really just we, we both have pretty similar takes on sailing and adventuring and also on what happens when things don't go the right way. So very enjoyable. But before we get in, I got two things. One, Sparrow is pretty much ready for action once again. And there are just a few shout outs I want to make. I want to talk, thank Scott for the teak. I want to thank uh, George and Ted for bringing the gallows down. Um, I want to thank all of the people who contributed to getting all the parts and things uh, that were necessary to get Sparrow going and a huge thanks to Brian for his overwhelming generosity with parts, time, making connections. He was part of the reason why I was able to even do this podcast. So really, really big thanks to that group. And I'm sure there's many more that I'm forgetting, but uh, without their generous help uh, with money and time, it really wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't be ready to go again. So I'm feeling pretty good. So big, big thanks to them. And then, uh, yeah, this podcast, you know, essentially to get to this, which uh, I've always wanted to be able to keep the show in person. But with that comes sort of the price of, you know, renting a car and then going and traveling and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But I believe in this podcast enough that uh, I was going to put my money where my mouth is and see how this goes. Um, So, yeah, uh, essentially, I want to thank the Patreon family for that because uh, you're a huge, huge reason why I was able to even do this. Um, And so big, big thanks there. And I'm hoping to grow things enough to the point where I can really just hit the road and start getting some uh, some heavy hitters on this show. And, you know, with Sven's connections in the sailing world, I think that's definitely a possibility. And uh, I'm going to work as hard as I can to uh, create the funds and everything that I can to be able to do things like a podcast road trip, which I think would be awesome in the fall of this year. But we will see. But uh, if you do want to support the show, like I always say, just uh, follow the link to the Patreon group and 
The Patreon family is 48 strong. Thank you all so, so much. But uh, we could always use more help. And if you want to do that, just follow the link. It's much appreciated. We still got the merch out there, all the shirts and hoodies and all that sort of stuff. Link in the description as well. And then if you just want to reach out to the show, sailingintooblivion.com, podcast link, and uh, contact the show. So without further ado, my conversation with Elliot Smith. Elliot Smith. My goodness. Here we are in this college library <laughs> down here outside of St. Augustine, Florida. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for uh, sitting down, taking a little time with me, man. Yeah, man, absolutely. I'm stoked uh, you came all the way down here and uh, just to say hey. Well, hey, I've got <laughs> fantastic listeners to this podcast. They, they write in all sorts of stuff, and I'm trying to up oh, the game. Cool. And you, my friend, are uh, pretty legendary right now. Yeah, I guess so. It's uh, <laughs> it's calmed down finally. Yeah, well, yeah. I, it and that's that's some of the stuff that I'm really interested in because you know when I did my trip, my friends and family knew I was doing it, but that was it. Mm. You know, there wasn't any sponsorship, there wasn't any of that, and so there wasn't a lot of pressure either. Right. Um, and I really enjoyed that, and I've continued that on. You, my friend, were on the world stage. Yeah, yeah. No, it was definitely. Um, pretty, oh, I mean, obviously that's new for me. Um, but it was fun for a little bit, I think. <laughs> and then, uh, it also helped me a lot, like, you know, in the sense that it kept me motivated and, you know, people are constantly being encouraged by just me trying to get to the start line. And yeah, so it kept, yeah, cut. No, no, uh, no keep uh, don't even worry about it. This, okay. uh, you know, this podcast is pretty real. I don't really even do any Care editing or the stuff. Lawn, or the guy with the leaf blower, the leaf right blower cruising by <laughs> he's like he hangs out here all day yeah, in the corner here <laughs> if he does that then i might have to punch him in the face but i think he'll be out of here yeah, soon yeah. <laughs> that's so funny we just don't do scripted around here yeah no well anyways um but yeah so yeah it was good because it kept me like yeah motivated like i said and you know, people were super encouraging and also financial support. So it was like really helpful to have a lot of eyes on me and people being encouraged by things and then donating. And um, I couldn't have done it without all the small donations and then without my big you know, support team as well. Right. Um, but then at the point where like a week before the race and I or two weeks before the race and I still had to uh I didn't even have my green card yet to be in the race. And I'm like working into the night, like, you know, into 1 a.m. with Josh and Vanya and whoever, uh, random people Getting like helping out. Ready. Yeah, just, just still. still paperwork stuff to do. Uh, yeah, and physical things on the boat. Like we're Jeez. still doing stuff that had to meet the clearance for the race rules. And, um, you know, I hadn't even put on my mainsail yet. You know, there's a million things I hadn't done yet. And, um, and then, you know, next thing I know, there's a line of people trying to get autographs oh, yeah. <laughs> like and all day. Like, and I'm like, I've got to do this. But it's like, you know, I'm like, oh, OK. Like, so I try to start setting aside time where I would like dedicate it because I want to be present with the people that yeah. are, you know, supporting me and stuff. And um, and I don't want to come off like a jerk by like ignoring them. So I tried to just say, like, OK, during these hours, I'll be hanging out. I hang out around the boat and mm -hmm. happy to talk and sign books or whatever. 
Well, it is. I mean, yeah. it is stressful. I do remember well mm. on any of the trips that I'm going on. You know, as it leads up to those last couple of days, absolutely. You just you're you're still seeing all these things on your list. But yeah, <laughs> there are people that are like, "Hey, come for dinner. We want to <laughs> feed you before you." And I'm like, "Dude, I gotta I gotta work. Like, yeah. it's gonna be an all nighter again." Yeah, because it's it's nerve wracking trying yeah, to totally. plot and plan for these things. Did you did you start here in the states and sail over? to france for your qualifier yeah so i got the boat somewhere in virginia and then i got shipped on a flatbed truck to saint augustine oh, okay um, i don't really know what i guess i was thinking resources were cheaper i have family in florida um yeah i don't know why i thought that well, was important like home but base man yeah yeah but i hadn't really been around saint augustine much and in the past like a little bit of jacksonville but anyway so i rebuilt the boat here in st augustine and then um sailed it north once i finally got in the water like the day i like the week after i splashed it i put the mast up bent on the sails and like left with my girlfriend to go to massachusetts to do more of a refit and oh, stage okay. to cross for uh the Atlantic sail, which was the qualifying sail for me. And that has to be what, 2,000 miles or something? I think it's 2,000 miles solo without solo, stopping, okay. yeah. And had you done any solo sailing before this? Yeah, I'd done some, but mainly just like bopping around the Bahamas, like so day sails. And then, you know, I think my longest solo sail was like before the Atlantic crossing was maybe like three days from like Florida to North Carolina. Dude, talking so. about jumping into the <laughs> deep end. That's awesome, man. Yeah, Holy it's only smokes. one way to do it sometimes. <laughs> what What's sort of like the impetus, I guess, of like, I want to do that, and now I'm actually going to go do that? Like, what mm. was the spark, I guess? Yeah, I think, I don't know, Matissier's Long Way, maybe. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. That's um, a big one in my life. Yeah, it seems to be in a lot of people that go out and do things, <laughs> which is cool. Voyage for Mad Men. Right. You read that one? I haven't. Oh, that, that I one know that's the GGR. Yeah, encompasses all one. of it. They, you know, they tell a lot about the story of Crowhurst. I figured, yeah. But um, just because, you know, books in Hollywood love a, love a tragedy like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, But yeah, I think Matissier is a big inspiration to try something like Sailing Around the World. And then, I don't know, I just... Yeah, I just felt like really called to, and the more I like put it out there, the more like the world seemed to kind of respond in a really positive way, and I just took it and ran with it. Dude, that, well, and how how old are you? Uh, I just turned twenty eight, so oh, I was world. like twenty six, twenty five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Feels like I'm getting older though already. Well, <laughs> that I mean, yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, the ocean will age you. That's for yeah, sure. The sciatic nerve will come next, right? Sci- yeah, <laughs> you'll be dealing with that. You'll be hating it. No, but I, you know, I've always thought that that's kind of one of the perks of being an adventurer. Mm. The more wrinkles, the more authentic. Mm. So you don't have you lose that vanity thing after you know your first oh. big trip, and you're like, nah, I yeah. want to look like this. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> I feel that. Yeah. Oh man, holy smokes! Okay, so early 20s you're already thinking about doing that and then i don't know i guess what was um how how because i didn't even consider they the the only history i have with the ggr was that 
when I found out they were doing it in 2018, I moved my trip up a year to 2017 because I get didn't, before it. Yeah, well, I just didn't want to be caught up in that uh. or seen as like this American pirate who's trying to do the same thing, but he's not in the race. Um, and <laughs> thankfully, it, it worked out all right as far as the weather, and it wasn't a, a terrible Southern Ocean season. We yeah. had a lot of named storms that came down there, but um, you know, there wasn't any colossal, you know, hurricane force, all that sort of stuff. I didn't, yeah. you know, all that. But um, trying to get where where was I going? I go off into the weeds sometimes. No, so do I. It's all good. Show. Yeah. Um, but I guess. Um, yeah, how how did how did the idea of like I'm gonna take part in that race? Where did that come from? Um, that's a good question. I really don't have a really solid answer for that. I think, at you know, reading the long way, reading books like Dove, which was like one of my first inspirations to get, learn how to sail. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I think I just like. I don't know if maybe one of my friends, Captain Randy, sent it to me like. Oh, like check this out! Like, they're doing another rerun of the GGR, and you know, I, I mean, I started sailing, like you know, after the 2018 GGR. Like, I'm fairly very new, right, or like right. right around then. So I never heard about it during that time. Yeah. So, but Randy was like, "Hey, man! Like, I know you're talking about like sailing around the world. Like, would you ever think about just doing it in a race or something?" And I'm like, "No, that sounds terrible. Right, Why would I right. do that?" And then. And then I was like, and nonstop, that sounds horrible too. And then some point after reading Long Way and like, and then I don't know, I really don't know who the first person to really mention it to me, but I know I talked about it with my friend Vanya in the Bahamas mm-hmm. on his boat and we were, or I was on my boat and I went over to him for his place for dinner and we were chatting about Long Way and he kind of mentioned this GGR again and he ended up being my main sponsor that pretty much put me through. Oh, really? Yeah, so it was really funny that we just kind of spitballing, talking about, like, dreaming about how cool it is and, like, the new race and the 2022 sounds really cool. And, and this and next thing I know. Like, 2020? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, probably mid-2020, I think. Okay. Yeah, so you're maybe like, early. Okay, we got two years. Yeah, well, yeah, and I didn't think I would really do it at this time. Oh, really? In the beginning of 2020, we were just, like, talking about it yeah. and then i think i had just like put my name in the in the hat uh through ggr and talked to don he was like well do you have the qualification sounds like you're pretty new you haven't done this that you don't have a boat blah blah you don't have any money and i was like he's like you don't have enough for the entry fee or the application fee and i was like no and i was like well i can sell my old boat and that'll pay for this and, and he was like all right, like, well, if you want in, you let me know when you have the application fee. And I had the application wow. fee soon, and then um, and then I guess uh, my name was up on the waiting list, and he gave me a call one day and was like, hey, man, you want the spot. You're up. You got to make a decision soon. Otherwise, we're going to give it that, the next waiting room, yeah. uh, waiting list person. So I was just like, I'm in. And I was like, shit. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I was I like, it's, it was little. nice. It was cool to say, like, oh, I'm on the waiting list for the GGR. But then yeah. when you're in the GGR, you're like, oh, no. It's like, well, wait a minute. What did I just <laughs> sign up for? Yeah. And I was like, and how much time do I have? <laughs> like, oh, no. But, yeah, so somewhere around those times, I just was like, all right, let's do it. Let's do it. And yeah. how, how long between then and you procuring the, the boat you were going to use? Uh, it took me a long time to get the boat. Um, I think I got the boat. 
about a little before a little a little more than a year before the start of line oh wow so a year and a half i got it in like like late spring the year before so 2021 okay and then i refit the boat for like eight months straight just replacing the boat yard. yeah everything myself and friends that didn't really know what they were doing mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it was group like, effort yeah and i mean i spent so many crazy hours on that boat like rebuilding bulkheads and glass work and i mean you know every plumbing every wire every single thing was ripped out of the boat and replaced well and that's that's one of the sort of things people don't think about a lot with this race is that you know it's these aren't new boats they're no. old boats right my boat was old. 44 <laughs> or 45 years old when i left yeah wow. and you know i think there's some credence to that as far as like that's pretty awesome. You're taking an old boat, so yeah. you've had to work on it quite a bit, and you're trying to do this thing that even brand new speed boats can't Handle, sometimes right. make it through without breaking. So yeah, that's oh man. So and and for me, yeah, it was essentially I had about a year, I guess, between buying the boat, figuring out how to solo sail because I'd never done that. Yeah. And I spent that time down in the Caribbean, did a couple little rips out into the Atlantic. Huh. Sailed it up to Maine, hauled it out, and then I had, I think, like four months, wow. three months, maybe, okay, to Dang. do everything I needed to do, provisioning, fixing, all that stuff. But I, I didn't bend the sails on Sparrow until two days before I left the new <laughs> sails, and all the slides. That's pretty much me too. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, that was one of the things why I, I really wanted That's to funny. be able to sit down with you. It was just that I was like, man, I. I think he and I, our stories are a lot alike <laughs> and not so much, you know, um, just the trip around the world, but, um, mm. and I, I know we'll get into this, but you know, I've done four big trips. Mm. Only one of them has been successful. Mm. All the other ones, I'm either hmm. flipping the boat over, breaking everything, busting the bowsprit and then end up having to turn back and, and get back to the States. And, wow. You know, know it's, that. yeah, it's, it's been a rocky road. All four on Mighty Sparrow, you're talking? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, the life of a, a solo sailor in the United States, it's not a, a huge, um, lucrative sort of thing to do. It's not NASCAR. <laughs> it's, not, it's not football. No. And we're not YouTube stars. So. No, definitely <laughs> not. So, you know. It's, we're not wearing uh, our bikinis out there. <laughs> not for the show, at least. Not for the show, at least. Oh, man. Well, so, okay. So, you get that. And I guess... My big question is, like, with all the pressures and stuff mm-hmm. of doing that in the public eye, mm-hmm. what were some of the biggest challenges? I know you said people are sort of gra- trying to grab you for your attention and stuff, but, I mean, underneath all that sort of psychologically, mm. is it pretty tough sort of knowing that you're going to have to do these interviews, you're going to have to do the checkpoints along the way and mm. all that sort of stuff? Sort of being beholden to this this thing that you're yeah. Before the race, I wasn't. It didn't bother me. I don't know why. I just I think I knew it was gonna be part of it, and I just accepted it. I wouldn't have done the you know like a lot of people were like really, and at times it bothered me. At times like you know besides, it bothered me just in the sense of like it was like you said grabbing my attention, taking me away from what I wanted to do. Yeah, but um. I also knew what I was signing up for, you know, it was all in the rules, you know, it's all in the notice of race. And, you know, Don talks about the whole time. It's about 
you know, a lot of this is for the fans and the media and like, that's how it is. If you don't want to be a part of that, then you don't have to be in the race. You can go do right. it without the race. And right. so I tried to remind myself that every time I'd get, you know, angry and just like have to check my ego a little bit and realize what I signed up for and uh, it is what it is. And so it didn't bother me, but I was a little conscious going into the race about the checkpoints because I thought that was at in the, before the race, I was a little worried about those mm -hmm. worried that i would be like ah this sounds a pretty cool place to stop like yeah you know oh, canaries right, right. like right on and then like you know video timing like m you know my girlfriend or my dad or whatever and like being like oh maybe i'll just hang out a little bit longer you know yeah, or whatever I mean. and like suck me into the world that i was like leaving behind for a bit but it ended up being those two checkpoints that i made it to canaries in south africa ended up being awesome and I was really thankful for them. And also what was cool about them is they gave me the motivation to keep going for some reason. Like I, you know, had like the anxiety of getting close to land, mm -hmm. approaching, getting there. And then like being like, ah, I don't need this. I have more to go. You know, I have more to do. I've, I've, my mission's not over. So it was a motive. It was like a restart basically each time. Cause it was like, it was like a break. It wasn't a break obviously, but it was like, a psychological reset because you have something three times to get like geared up for you know you're like oh sweet like if i can just get to canaries and then okay now if i can just get to around trinidad mm -hmm. and then it's like okay if i can just get to south africa if i can just get to australia yeah right. you know rather than like thinking about it like i have to make it around the whole world yeah you know it I broke it up for one. me yeah, and I think even you wrote about in your book, like you were looking at it as a chapter at a time, basically. Yeah. You were saying like Equator, uh, Cape Good Hope, or I don't remember how you broke it up, but I think you also did that, right? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. I, I was so overwhelmed because I was yeah, thinking it's a like, huge task. Cow, like, you know, Cape Horn, what time am I going to get there and all stuff? And it just, you know, raises the blood pressure and yeah. anxiety. And so I just... I shrunk down my thinking and I was like, you know, I've crossed the Atlantic a couple times. Mm. So I know I can do that. So if I can just make it to the equator, we'll go from there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the next one was the South Atlantic. I crossed that before. So do that one. It's obviously pretty freaking scary. Sure. You get below 40 sure. south. That's like a whole different story. But um, yeah, I mean, just, just to sort of, um, I guess... A big part of it really is is controlling your mental faculties uh, totally. and being able to say to yourself, "No, we're not. We're not letting you know good hope in the Indian Ocean enter into my brain mm -hmm. because I'm still in the North Atlantic. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to sort of push it out, which is way easier said than done. Yeah, no, it is. It is easier said than done. But yeah, one step at a time. I think I'm usually lucky that I feel like I'm pretty lucky at being usually pretty present and. Um, I really, I mean, that's what I like sailing, you know, it really forces you to be present Absolutely. and take it one step at a time, painfully slow at a time, you know, <laughs> every day, a hundred miles is a good day, you know, but, um, so yeah, I, I just kind of did it like that. And I kept on telling myself that horrible saying where it's like, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And then. And then, but like, this elephant. is more than an elephant. Like my buddy Nick was, he says one time, he, he was like, man, yeah, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? He goes, well, how do you eat an airplane? And I'm like, I don't know. And he goes, 
one bite at a time. <laughs> I was like, damn, that's what it feels like, you know, going around the world solo. It's yeah. like, it's like one bite of an airplane at a time. <laughs> that's great. Well, it is, dude. I mean, you know, as far as endurance challenges, yeah. doing that in an old boat, I mean, you used to be able to say it about the Vendee Globe, but now they get around so fast. It's yeah. Like, it's great. I, you know, the year that I did it was uh, the year they set the new world record for solo around the world. Is that right? Um, it's that French guy. I, I can't believe I can't remember his name, but uh, I think he did it in four to two days. Holy smokes. Yeah. Really? So he left like a month after I did, and he got back like five months before <laughs> did you see him pass you and come back around <laughs> oh, he's probably freaking warp speed man yeah. god he was i mean his his boat was i don't know 100 foot trimaran or something wow. i don't even know wow maybe it was like 70 i'm not sure but totally different uh yeah, ball game world. different budget too i'm sure <laughs> yeah i'm sure he had a different budget than you and i times five combined oh man um i, I was always curious about like the um sort of safety aspects mm-hmm of of being in uh, an organized sort of race like that mm. i feel like i mean you know the southern ocean is is one of the most dangerous places anybody can be mm-hmm. because no matter what it's not like they have boats following you or anything like that right but were there like protocols and things that they went through with you guys as far as like okay so you're in the middle of the indian ocean like you were mm-hmm. and let's say uh, well there was one competitor who yeah tapio yeah his his boat sunk mm-hmm uh, but he was picked up by another competitor. Right. Were there other, like, when something like that happens, do they just, are there ships that are coming out? Uh, not necessarily, but I would say I think that is a benefit of doing something like being in a GGR is I would say it's definitely a lot safer in the sense that there's numbers, mm-hmm. in the sense that there's people nearby-ish, other sailors, hopefully, unless yeah. you're in the back, like right, I yeah, was for yeah, a little right. bit. Um, but... Um, yeah, so they they just any May Day, any kind of big alerts is texted to us on our YB three uh, tracker phone thing. So okay. we can text race control at any time with those and with any like safety means, and they do the same to us. And so anytime any wind is predicted over thirty five knots, they give us a forecast warning. That's, so that's nice. So that was nice and huge. Because, uh, yeah, it just sucks because they say we can use weather facts and stuff, but it's pretty um, not that trustworthy out in the middle of the sea. Sometimes can't get a hold of certain stations and et cetera. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> it's like, you know, before stations were everywhere and yeah. now they're very few and far between that are yeah, actually I working. got my grip files, bro. <laughs> I got a 10-day <laughs> forecast, man. I know, right? But, I would. I, yeah. I, I do. Side note, just want to say hats off, bro, because I, hmm. I've only been in a situation where I lost my capability to download weather once, uh, for maybe like a month and a half. But oh, I think you set your computer right, and the fuck well, you right computer about computer on that broke. trip. But I was able to sort of sort that out. Uh-huh. Um, but um, a couple of trips ago, the sat phone just went kaput, oh, and man. so I couldn't do it. And I still had people sort of telling me, you uh-huh. know, oh, it's going to do this, it's going to do that, but. You know, being able to see a weather map and everything. Yeah, it makes a big difference, huh? I mean, seriously, hats off. Like, I, you know, the barometer is great. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was tricky. I think, you know, especially when race control would send you, like, they'd give you sometimes, I don't know why sometimes they decided, like, 
they could send you like the center of the low is moving this direction and like this is the wind speed on the north and south side of it Mm -hmm. and then sometimes they wouldn't tell you that and sometimes i don't know i was just like it seemed kind of random like what yeah yeah, but i was like uh you know sometimes it was detailed sometimes it wasn't and i was like okay i guess if i had really something to worry about they would also they'd be extra detailed i guess but yeah so a few times it gave me a little scares like you can, not you can sort of read between the lines like if it was like a two-page detailed report yeah you'd be exactly like, oh, okay i yeah. guess we got something real bad coming. <laughs> oh, yeah man. so yeah that that would definitely be nice to at least know that you're getting that because yeah i mean back in the day when the original one mm-hmm. they would have they you know they had those old marconi radios right but again i mean once you get down to the southern ocean it's sort of like all bets are off really no totally and then i think also besides like being near other competitors able to maybe make an assist or not um you know we have like a 24 7 medic uh teledoctor mm-hmm. like designed to help people on both so and they're awesome like the guy who runs that whole program is like uh, it's really really impressive stuff so thankfully i never had to call them but yeah um yeah so that helps and then you know don and their team like is linked with all of the emergency people near like the coast where we're going to be at. Oh, so they like have, yeah. So they have quick access to those research or resources to help make a save. If something needs to happen, like, you know, something like a tapio situation Yeah, or, or, you know, in the 2018 one where Avalash and Connor, yeah, yeah, they lost both their boats and then, uh, or Avalash lost his boat and Connor, um, uh, yeah, they left both of them. And then same with Susie Goodall and mm-hmm. a few other people. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it definitely helps being uh, a safety mindset, like being in an organization with GGR. Yeah. Okay. I didn't really think about it. I just hope that would never happen. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Well, and that's one of those things. I mean, you know, that old adage of, uh, hope for the best but prepare for the worst right, right, you, know, sure. you definitely want to do that but w- with something as as large scale as this right. going around the world in an old boat a lot of those things just don't apply because it's <laughs> it's just you know it's it's terrible that that uh, i something i've encountered a lot where people you could tell somebody you climbed everest and mm. they'd be like holy cow you tell somebody you, you sailed around the world alone without stopping and they're like hmm Neat. Well, okay. And they don't really understand. No, they don't. Yeah. And they don't realize that it takes, you know, nine months or whatever. Right. I don't know. That's, that's always something, but you know, with presentations and things like that, you just end up like bringing either your charts or a pocket globe and then you Uh, show somebody and then all of a sudden they want to sit down and talk to you for about two hours. (laughs) You gotta, you gotta, they have a million questions. Yeah, Yeah, I'm sure. So, oh man, that's funny. Well, and so, you know, you take off and you get down there. How was your, I mean, as knowing that, already knowing that you're such a fan of Matissier, Uh one of the things that he freaked me out about was rounding Good Hope because he was pretty terrified of it. Yeah, and he writes it like a few times about how he thinks it's worse than Cape Horn. Yeah, which I I don't have perspective on now, but uh, because I didn't get to Cape Horn, but um, I I can't imagine. You, you think so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, it's, it's, for me, it was basically two things, um, or, or 
pros and cons of going around Good Hope. You've got the Agullis Current. You can go south of that, but you've been. It just it takes so long to get past it into the Indian I know, Ocean. It does. With the horn, you know, you get around five it days. Quick, but you're down in the furious 50s. That's <clears> excuse me. Hectic and, down there. Well, and it's right? snowing, and you're like, it's, it's like <laughs> summertime. What is this? It just, Dude, you know, I can't. I'm so, if there's one thing I'm glad that I miss is not Cape Horn, but the s- snow and ice that everybody gets down there. Like, yeah. oh, that sounds horrible, man. It's not fun at all. Like you, you I was not prepared for that. Looking on that boat, like now, like thinking about what the other people have gone through and are going through, like Ian right now and yeah, Jeremy yeah. and everybody else has gone through. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it's a good thing I'd. What happened is what happened because I might have died down at Cape Horn, <laughs> like unprepared. Always a possibility, unfortunately, yeah, but it is. it is always a possibility. I mean, it is. I think it's one of the most dangerous things you know anybody can attempt. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. But it is. That's you know how how was your? So you have to pull in to Cape Town. Yeah, yeah, on the west side. Yeah, and that was where you first was. That where you first discovered the problems with the bowsprit? Right after. So I. I flew into Cape Town and I start, you know, at this point I'm like finally dialing in my boat and I'm like feeling pretty happy about like, you know, my progress and like gaining ground and leaving a few people behind me. And I was like, I was like, all right, like, you know, I might obviously have no chance to catch Simon, but you know, or whatever at this time I'm thinking, but yeah, you know, at least I have a good shot of, you know, making top three, maybe if, if I keep this up and I get lucky, but then, um, yeah, I pull into Cape Town and and I leave, and of course, like the wind is coming right from the southwest, and I have to go southeast, but I or I have to go south because mm-hmm. to get her under the bank. Yeah, and they're predicting like a low pressure moving in eventually, so I didn't want to cut across the bank in the one fair weather day I had. Yeah, uh, and get caught off or get caught in there with the pressure moving across. So yeah. I'm like beating, like basically going southwest. And the wind's coming straight from the south, and I'm just like, yeah. So I'm going almost directly west to tack back, and then so I'm going the wrong direction, and I'm bashing into everything, just trying to go quick. And then, um, at some point that night after I had left, I noticed like my rig seemed a little bit more slack, and like my mast moved a little bit in the shims around the around the because I have keel step. Yeah. So I was like, mm, and I was like, well, maybe I should pack the jib away. So I packed that up and then was just rocking the stay sail until the morning. And then it calmed down and I tacked back over and I'm going through like a million freaking fishing boats that, you know, is, I mean, tuna are jumping everywhere. I'm catching tuna left and right. But, you know, it's like, <laughs> uh, I'm like, all right, now I'm going to go see what's going on with the rig. And I go up on the bowsprit and uh, now it's like super calm. It's like flat almost. And I'm, pretty much just below Cape of Good Hope again, or just below, uh, yeah, Cape of Good Hope slash Table Bay area, okay. or um, False Bay. How, how far south of that? Probably 15, 20 miles. Oh, okay, okay. Because I started to cut across, and I knew I was going to hit some light winds, and I was thinking about just trying to get across the bank right yeah. then rather than having to go all the way south. Mm-hmm. Since I was talking to fishing boats about weather, so I felt pretty good about cut a little s- shortcut there. Nice. And then... I'm up on the bowsprit looking around and I'm like, what is going on? Why is everything so loose? And and then I look to the sides and yeah, the frame, the bowsprit, the tube, it's just 
cracked completely in half on the right side and completely buckled on the left side of it. And and I was like, you know, I kind of start breaking down right there. And I'm like, it just felt so surreal. Yeah, surreal in the sense that I was like, it just didn't feel right that my journey was over. You know, like I, I felt like all of a sudden I felt very prideful and very like frustrated that like, why would the universe like, tell me this is my path and like support me so much and I was like feeling so confident and like surprising myself and every like every time I talk to people like Don or on the interviews every week like he's just constantly like you have no idea how many people are rooting for you I'm like great thanks for telling me that and then uh, but in one way it kept me motivated and then so I'm thinking that all of that I'm like gonna be letting people down letting myself down letting you know my whole dream is getting crushed right now possibly and then i was like i was like well it's dead calm right now maybe i can like just motor straight into false bay uh you know grab a anchor right there in simon's town area and see if i can fix it myself and then if not maybe i'll drop out because I didn't really want to do Chichester. I guess I was a little too prideful. <laughs> and, right, and right. And then I was like... Well, that's understandable, though. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, well... Okay. So I was like, that's the first step. Don't quit. Yeah. Don't start... Get out the phone and, like, freak out. Like, yeah. Everything's okay. So I just dropped a few halyards uh, and spinnaker halyards down to, you know... Sure, everything. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then so I... Motor ends flat calm. It's super nice. That was beautiful. And getting to Simonstown, finally, and... Uh, settle in there right before the evening and start assessing everything overnight just thinking about it not doing anything thinking about Matissier's style of like how he bent his bow spread right right there and and fixed it and I was like well mine's not freaking bent mine's cracked in half it's a little different but (laughs) (laughs) I was like got lucky on there and then uh so yeah next morning I just kind of yeah I tried to dial everything in think about exactly the steps what it would make sense to resupport everything properly mm-hmm. and then i did it and i thought it was really good and strong and eventually it lasted a few weeks and it buckled further away from the initial break so it just the whole thing was riddled with corrosion on the inside oh right yeah right, right. so it's just there's no way i could keep fixing it was it aluminum or stainless? It was stainless and the inside of it it was thin stainless tubing like pretty thin and it was sleeved with regular steel on the inside apparently oh so the steel sleeve on the inside of the tubing corroding i mean oh it was just a pile of rust like dust oh dude yeah so it got into the stainless eventually and ruined it and that's what gave it away oh jeez but i had no idea it was sleeved with steel you know i wasn't gonna cut my bowsprit in half check it before the race i just assumed it was solid there's only so much that you can like really investigate there there has to be yeah with the time that i had and right right money yeah so but yeah oh yeah yeah i'm just like picturing it because you know i sparrow's got an old wooden right one and uh we had one situation where i almost broke it uh, Mm. in the doldrums headed north you know, out at sea for, I think, like seven, eight months almost. And uh, I was getting stupid and lazy. Not lazy, but just stupid. And pitch black night, super light winds, doldrums, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, had the full, huge, giant drifter, full mainsail up, went to bed. 
and I woke up to the boat just lurching over a squall just oh, rolled wow. in and yeah. basically go up and I could see the, the three three sandwiched boards together uh-huh. had started to delaminate. So oh, it got shit. like tweaked. And this is big. Yeah, huge right, timber, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh you know, I I was lucky I got away with that one, but this not the next trip, but the trip after that, I went through a tropical storm and uh smashing down over the waves. Mm. Ended up finding that underneath the bowsprit, the supports, there were a bunch of cracks. Yeah, right in the deck, there was water getting in, and that that ended that trip. Oh, and, wow. But I remember sitting there, and I'm hove to. I just hit the southeast trade winds, and I'm looking at what's going on. And I, like you, I'm sitting there like, holy shit, like this is it. I yeah. don't think I'm going to be able to keep going. That's yeah. safe. And I was headed to Cape Horn to go around it backwards. Oh, into okay. the Pacific. Right. That was sort of that impetus for that trip. And okay. it's like, uh, it's hard to describe the feeling because you're, no, you're sitting out there out at sea and you're like, this isn't, this isn't going to work. Like, <laughs> yeah, no. is it? How, is there, and you're, you're scouring your brain or at least. And I you have would. nobody else to run this over with. No. And I'm huge on, I mean, you can ask anybody, but especially my girlfriend, I, I mean, I need help you know, ordering what to eat for lunch at a, you know, restaurant, you what know, pants should I put on? Yeah. Today? <laughs> yeah. You know, and but it's funny that somebody like that also tried to sail around the world by themselves, but it, <laughs> I'm that same person. So, yeah, right. <laughs> but I could imagine, I know what you mean. It's like, it's very strange to feel that and, and try and decide whether is this a time to push and persevere. And, you know, you have this like almost, masculine or competitiveness whatever it is to be like yeah or ego or is it just like you know sometimes it takes like a little bit of strength and overcoming you know to figure things out and persevere Mm -hmm. but at what point it's hard to know what line is it crossing totally you know it you know could i have tried to keep going with halyards as my stay probably probably could have tried that probably could have and i you know i sailed 3,000 more miles with halyards down, yeah, you know, yeah, all yeah. the way from, you know, middle of Indian Ocean to Australia. So, I'm, you know, and there's a few storms I went through like that, but, you know, so I well, think it, about that a lot. It's, but. it, I, I always found, you know, because the people that inspired us to go out there, the Knox Johnsons, Matissiates, all these people, you know, they have these, there's so many stories of yeah. this heroic overcoming, you know, like I, yeah, especially Knox Johnson's, oh right? Oh, my God. I, yeah, anytime I needed a bit of a boost, I would read his book for, uh, and that one was uh, A World of My Own. I'd right. read that for, like, the old, like, oh, I can do it, too. Yeah. But I would read, I think it was Chichester's book, because mm. he complained so much. And I was yeah, like, he does. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be that guy. I'm going to actually <laughs> try and stay on the positive side. No offense to him. I mean, he sure, was obviously sure. epic. But, uh, yeah, it's it's really hard, because... You want to be one of those people, so you're sitting there questioning yourself, right? Like, what kind of person am I? Am right. I the one that's gonna give up? Right. I don't know. It's tough, and it you is know, to be sitting there in the middle of a freaking ocean. Well, it's tough, especially I bet for you as a person that's already done something epic or already completed a goal like sailing around the world, and then you're like, you're like, okay, I know I have it in me. Like, I can. You know, I've gone through some crazy shit, you know, like, why can't I go through this? Why can't I figure out my way around this? And like, you know, so it's tough because 
you know, and for me too, it's like, okay, like I've come through so much adversity already getting to where I'm at. Like what's one more, but then I was like, well, I don't know. And so that's why I decided to try and fix and keep going. Yeah. yeah and yeah. then, you know, it all buckled again. It, you know, turned out not to be the best, but. Well, but you know, just the fact that you gave it a go and headed out into what I consider to be the worst ocean. Yeah. The, the basically the yeah, Southern ocean section of the Indian ocean. I yeah, mean, it's pretty talk to Randall Reeves. He'll tell you all about it. His knockdown when yeah. he was trying to do the first figure eight landed him in Hobart. Cause he was, you know, blew out his portholes and all sort of stuff. It's a, that's a scary ocean, man. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it definitely can be. I was, I like, so <laughs> I had come back from my trip right, uh-huh. where I get severely knocked down, boats damaged, lose solar panels, gallows, Dodger, <laughs> all this stuff. It's a nightmare, right? Yeah, yeah. But I'm in the North Atlantic. I'm like 400 miles away from Bermuda. You know, I'm in reach of rescue. Right. And then it takes another 15, 20 days to get back to land. And then I get back and then I'm watching you. And <laughs> I leave port with the cherry rig. I'm just, I'm like, people had a heart cow. attack over that shit. Well, I was like, holy cow. All right. He's going to do it. He's got this. And yeah. Cause I was always, you know, I was one of your fanboys, man. <laughs> Seriously. I was like, he's American. He's a good he's a young gun. He's got this. Oh, um, but yeah, when, when the announcement came out that you had, basically more issues in the middle of the Indian ocean. Yeah. I, it put my trip into perspective. I was mm. like, I was like, that's like the one place I would never want to be the middle of the Indian ocean. There is nothing out there. I don't no, even know if they really still wasn't. keep people on Amsterdam Island. I, I don't know either, <laughs> but that it just, there's so many horrific stories about, you know, cause Antarctica is pretty close and those systems coming off of there. Yeah. I can, no, I definitely <sighs> got pretty fair weather since then since it broke the second time so i was pretty lucky oh i did a lot of live streams oh yeah where i was like all right so elliot looks (laughs) like he's gonna have this and like and i'm trying to like dissect it oh epic you know because that was kind of the funny thing for the first time to do which was uh, i had a lot of people that were looking at the weather Mm. when i was out there and they were doing and you're doing it for somebody else now (laughs) in the comfort of sparrow tied up to a dock you know where it's like oh i've got electricity and all stuff yeah but yeah, I mean, it, that must have been when when you knew that it wasn't going to work and you were going to have to just get to land. You're in the middle of the Indian Ocean. I mean, that had to be freaking scary. Were they giving you weather at that point? Um, no. I started getting weather once it broke again. They gave me an update for the next two days. Oh, okay. Um, like telling them that I was going to try and... All right, at first, I was like, I think I have to quit. You know, there's no way. And then I was like, well, I have this backup stay. I was like, well, shit, I can, I can, I can make it a stem rig boat and just cut off the bowsprit and, you know, pitch it or, you know, keep it on in the V berth or whatever and take it all apart. So that was my first idea. I was like, make a stem rig. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It'd be slower, but I'll be safe. And then, so I, I'm up there, it's like 15 foot swells and there's like hardly any wind but I'm at the top of the mast, like taking down the furler and I get it down, which is a feet. And then, you know, I get it on deck and it's, you know, it's 10, 15 feet longer than my boat. So it's bouncing in the water, dragging in the water while I'm like working on it. I'm like getting out the angle grinder. I'm like cutting everything. And I cut this furler section too short. And then this happened. And I only have one stay lock and, uh, you know, and then 
I make the decision, like, I can't get this furler to work. Like, it's it's just not going to work. And so I was like, okay, well, I have the backup stay. So I climb up, I tether the stay, uh, the turnbuckle, I tether the turnbuckle to the chain plate uh-huh. and uh, climb the mast again. I've done, like, eight climbs at this point or something like that. Yeah, and it's dude. just, I mean, my rails are burying side to side, you know, because oh, it was right. just choppy waves. Oh. But I was God. thinking, like, you know, like, I'm in the Southern Ocean. Like, I could get a huge storm tomorrow. I don't yeah. know. And I was, like, panic. I was, like, I don't want just my halyards down in a storm. Well, it's impossible to just sit there. And not do anything. And not do anything. Yeah, and be, like, I'm waiting for better weather. Yeah. So I was just, like, I got to work. And that was one of those moments you're, like, okay, I'm going to overcome this. You know, like, I'm strong. <laughs> like, be the wow. Knox Johnson and hand steer for 200 days yeah, plus, yeah, you know, right. or whatever. And so I'm like doing that. I'm up on the top of the mast and my ribs are like already bruising and my knuckles are like, I mean, my hands are like spasming because I'm just oh, holding yeah. on so hard. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm like pushing, yeah, clevis pins with my mouth and my tongue trying to get, and I'm dropping everything overboard. And then I dropped the stay at some point when I had pretty much all the blocks set up and the stay lock set up and everything. And I dropped the stay and I was like, damn it. And I'm like coming down and then I see the turnbuckle is un is spinning oh no and i was like did i not put a pen through it and then i'm like trying to hurry and i've got this self gree trying to get myself down the mast and like i'm like about to just cut the rope and climb down as fast as i can because i see it spinning and wow. i'm like no i'll get down it's like fine and then i'm like just below the spreaders and i see it unravel all the way and it slips overboard and that was my last stay and i was oh, like that's when no. i was like okay now that was the biggest sign like yeah, i just kind of yeah, laughed right. you know i had a little oh, bit of tears, but a little bit of laugh, and well, almost yeah. a little. You must felt like almost a little relief. Relief, yeah, a little okay. bit. The battle's over. Yeah, it's like well, at least I fucking tried my best, yeah. and I gave it a go, and I made it three weeks with the first repair, and I tried a second one and gave it my all, but just wasn't patient enough for good weather to do it properly. But well, but the, the, I, for people who haven't been in the Southern Ocean, it's pretty rare to get anything. Super close calm, close to a flat where, no. where the boat's not pitching around, pitching around. And our old boats, I mean, I, you know, I, I hate to say this, but I, I don't normally do like sort of any sort of research really uh-huh. before I sit down to talk to somebody because I like to sort of have uh, just yeah. a genuine conversation. I get I get some flack from it, every <laughs> time, but um, what type of boat was it? It's called a Gale Force 34. Gale Force 34, so pretty similar to West Sail 32, but full keel, full keel, yeah, How heavy. Uh, I don't know, nineteen thousand. Okay, okay. Yeah, pretty big. Yeah. But, um. So that's gonna basically do the old rolly rolly. Yeah, it still rolls a good bit. Yeah. yeah. And it's pretty, you know, hourglassy. You know, pretty rounded. Like you know, j- it's pretty similar underneath as a west sail, but the back isn't a isn't a double ender. It, oh. It okay. starts to look like it, and then he shapes it off. I actually love the design of the bow. I think it's awesome and i think once i started to figure out actually how to sail it it was proven itself to be pretty quick too what were some of the hull speeds you were getting um just like a normal powered up awesome day yeah easily six and a half. Oh wow okay. yeah six six plus nice so where i mean there was days where like ian would be reporting that he was probably going like five and a half like powered up in the same winds and i was going like six and a half and i was just like see ya you know i was like putting <laughs> days in front of him at the time and then you know, I'm hearing, like, I was making the same, I think for a little bit, apparently I had, like, the long, the fastest, 
or most miles in a single day until Kirsten crushed it near Cape Horn. Oh, right, right, right. So, um, yeah, so I was, like, feeling pretty good about, you know, being able to get the boat moving when I was finally learning to trim the boat properly and stuff. It took takes, me a while yeah, to learn. Yeah, it takes a long time. Those older boats, I mean, unless you've been sailing on them for years, yeah. it, it takes a while to actually figure them out. Yeah, and I never, you know, I'm new to sailing in general, and I think I've done, like, one beer can race, and, <laughs> uh, you know, and then another one with my old Russian captain uh, in the bay. So I've done like two races that were like an hour long, you know, my whole life. So those two to to GGR. And then, so it was like, I I don't know how to trim things super proper. I don't know how to set things up the right way or, right. Right. You know, it took me pretty much till the doldrums to figure out that, you know, moving the jib cars like actually make a huge difference. (laughs) You know, See, that's that's the funny <laughs> thing. Like when I did mine, you know, I I just I had thought for maybe a split second about trying to enter the GGR 2018, yeah. and that just disappeared very quick because I'm just not a racer. Okay, and I was wondering uh, why you never. Yeah, I just well that and, and the the boat's too slow. I would definitely. Yeah. It took me 271 days. Granted, it was a little bit longer trip. Yeah, because you're starting from the states and you got to go all the way over. Right. But, uh, I think you would have held your own. Uh, the only, yeah, this is what you I would have beaten. The, you would have kept up with the trade winds, you know, like Ian and Guy yeah, Waits' boat. Maybe I. The only way you could <laughs> figure, or I, I would have a chance at actually winning that race would be it would have to be such a horrific season down in the <laughs> and everybody Ocean else gets that I was the last man standing. Uh, Which and I don't almost wanna, happened this year. <laughs> I know. I don't want to be there for yeah, that because I, I know how bad the Southern Ocean can get. <laughs> And I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with my experience <laughs> down there for sure. But, oh, man. Gosh. Yeah. It's so crazy. So how, how did it feel pulling into, you pulled into Fremantle, right? Yeah. How yeah. Have you feel? been to Fremantle? No. Uh, it's awesome place. I felt good. Um, a little sad. A little bit mixed emotions, right? Yeah, pretty mixed. Um, yeah, I, it was cool. The people that welcomed me actually ended up letting us or letting me stay at their house and um, house sit for a while while they were away. And my girlfriend came and visited. And so oh, nice. we, yeah, we explored Australia a little bit together, at least West Australia. And, um, but yeah, when I pulled in, Pip and Sharpie were super welcoming. They're throwing me fruit and chocolate and, <laughs> nice. you know, guiding me in because I didn't have any charts of the area. So I was kind of blind right right yeah which is there's a lot of reefs around there so i'm glad i'm really thankful that somebody let me in because i probably would have uh made a stupid decision oh dude yeah well did you like sort of hove to for a night or something just off outside of there yeah exactly okay yeah pulled in daylight smart definitely yeah i learned from somebody else's unfortunate ending rate or race ending decision oh, in the canaries yeah, i know but, yeah, uh, that, was, that was crazy because you know i as an american i'm always supporting any americans sure, that yeah. are doing solo sailing stuff and when that happened i was like <laughs> Dang it. he's a character man yeah, <laughs> oh i'm funny. sure i'm sure but, uh, yeah, but yeah it was pulling in a free man i was a little bit mixed yeah i was excited to like talk to people again and you know friends and loved ones and stuff but um yeah i was a little bit sad for a bit still get that way i still like think about you know just so much effort and 
you know, so many crazy, beautiful things lining up. And, you know, it was hard for me. The hardest thing so far has been about, you know, abandoning the mission a little bit, you know, soon or early was for some reason when things start to line up in your life and like things start pushing you in a way and you're like getting all encouragement from all places and you know you're following all these signs and you think you're on this like right path and everything just works out and then one day it doesn't and one day it shuts down and you you don't have any say in it and you can't push through or persevere ask for help to get by like you just have to let it go and um I didn't really think I just wanted some kind of affirmation that like it was all you know, like, I don't know what I wanted or what I expected to give me this approval that it was all for something. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was like, I need to see a vision out at sea right? or, you know, need this, you know, rescue somebody or, you know, another racer had a abandoned his bow and I had to pick him up to be there because yeah, yeah, you know, because divine intervention put me in this place, you know, I'm expecting something like that, I think, or, you know, like a lot of me getting into the race and the boat name, second wind, like having to do with stuff with my mom and all this other stuff. And just like feeling a lot of that kind of energy, I guess you could say. And like, I was expecting something, whatever it was, to happen to make it, yeah, and it, nothing really happened, you know, so it was kind of disappointing, like, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I was joking with my friends, like, before the race, and they're like, dude, like, are you expecting to, like, be changed, or, like, you know, are you know, like, take mushrooms out there, yeah, and share, yeah, you know, right. all this stuff, and I was like, no, I think I'm just trying to be mostly sober, I'll bring some beer or something, and Know, keep me warm or something every now and then and then i was like but now i'm not gonna take any drugs out there and stuff i just want to be pretty natural and yeah yeah with with the ocean and um and i was like but maybe i'll just be so like you know monk like and sober like and meditating all day and then i'll just start levitating one day yeah, you know right. so i'm like half expecting me to start doing some crazy shit yeah. objects <laughs> yeah. with my mind <laughs> exactly it's you know? unbelievable yeah so I was like hoping for <laughs> shit like that, and <laughs> and then it doesn't happen. And then you're sitting in Australia, and you're like, yeah, at a bar, at a restaurant, and then next thing you know, you're buying a new cell phone plan, and you know, it's just like every reality just yeah comes back, and then you're back in the states, and I'm broke again, and don't have a job, and you know, it's just like, oh, okay, and I see all my friends, and everything's. Nothing's really changed. And right. Like, all right. It's kind of disappointing. Yeah, I, well, I, I could see how that, that definitely can feel like that. Um, yeah. And and I guess I've experienced that some with some of the shorter trips mm-hmm. when, when, you know, the plan doesn't work out and you turn around and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I, as, as like an outside person viewing in, I, you know, I would hope that you realize just how ballsy that was Mm. to keep going after Cape Town Mm. Um, because I mean like no joke that Indian Ocean is terrifying (laughs) yeah I guess I didn't know (laughs) I mean it really when I saw that I was fully fully Mm. impressed I was just like holy cow because that 
you know, people can say they're going to do all these things, but when you physically go and make that leap and you trust, you know, yourself and you trust your boat and all that sort of stuff and you venture off into one of the scariest places in the world, mm. that is a complete judge of your character. Mm. And I would think, you know, geez, just going forward in life, you got that one checked right <laughs> off. I, I don't know if I would have done that. Mm. Um, you know, I don't even know if, if I had if I had pulled in close to Cape Town and my water pump broke at that point. Mm. I don't know if I would have continued on without at least stopping right. and, and trying to find a new one. I right. mean, the ocean saved me in a way because right. I was already so far in. And I was like, well, it's. Just makes sense to keep going almost. Yeah, yeah I might as well aim for Australia to be the next pit stop <laughs> if I can't catch enough water. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, for you to go and take a boat that's like broken pretty yeah. seriously and substantially, yeah. and then just be like, dude, I'm going for it. That says a lot. I mean, oh, thanks. I mean, I'm real. I am, and I don't mean to sound too sad about it, but um, I'm definitely proud of what I've done and how far I made it, and. You know, getting the start line was, you know, big enough, honestly. And <coughs> so I'm not, I mean, I'm not like super disappointed. Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't say that, but um, it's a little bit, it goes, you know, some days I'm feeling, you know, happy about what I did and some days I'm not. And then, but um, I think, yeah, like you said, I'm definitely proud of that I pushed myself and pushed the boat and decided to go back out there and not make a decision based off of fear, but out of, you know, love and and you know hope and stuff so um yeah so i, I definitely am and I, I learned a lot in all of that scenario and um it is what it is and i think it was funny because as i was approaching australia i started picking up on hf um abc radio like their australian broadcast radio mm -hmm. and so there's talking like national coverage and then it's like the npr basically of australia and yeah it was cool, and they're playing like all sorts of different interviews and podcasts and specials, and uh, along with you know news and stuff, and a bunch of useless sports stuff, and <laughs> yeah, so it was fun, and I listened to that a lot. And um, there's one, there's a, a theme that kept seemed to happening for me in the radio, which was interesting, but it was like stuff about things not going the way people expect them to end and there's you know yeah. it was like different specials like one was about like an author and one was about a sports like a tennis player or something and um but it all working out for the better in some way and so and then one point the author has this book and he's getting interviewed about the author about the book and he's like you know I kind of am. People say I'm a little, you know, kind of sad and in my writing and a little depressing sometimes. You go, but that's life sometimes, you know. He's like, not everything gets wrapped up in a neat bow at the end of the story, you know. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, but a lot of times it doesn't, you know. Like, and he even goes something. He's like, you know, like the grant, you know, the dying family member doesn't always say something poetic right before they die to you. Sometimes it's just a mix of words that don't make any sense, yeah, you know? Yeah, and right. he's like, that's how it goes. And I Pass was like, ask me another, you know? Yeah. And you're like, what? That's the last word. Like, you know, so no. <laughs> I was like hearing that and I, uh, was encouraged in the sense that like, Oh, it's okay. This is life. Like I can still learn from this. I can still grow from this. And, and focus on where I can grow and learn from what happened. 
And so oh, that's yeah. what I'm trying to do and still trying to do. Um, but yeah, it's like an everyday thing. Well, and it, you know, the ocean uh, has taught me a million things, but I think one of the, the most, uh, the one that's impacted me the most is that sort of yin and yang of um, things are bad, things are good. <laughs> yeah, like a switch, huh? Uh, totally. <laughs> Out there. But with the absence of the bad, the good can only be at a certain so level. So good, right. And you increase the bad or add some in there, and then you get to the good, and the good's that much better. Oh, uh, yeah. And, you know, one of the things, when I, I wanted to try to do the figure eight voyage that Randall Reeves did, right. but without stopping at all. So he, he had did to he do stop? Some, he had to do some stops in the Northwest Passage, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, which, because of the way he does it, starting on the West Coast, and the passage is he kind of has to. He kind of has to. The only way to really, I think, go from the east is go west. from the east, do the northwest passage, you make it through that. Left what did uh, Rutherford? Yeah, did he, he did not do it that? Like that, yeah. Oh, okay. So he left, but he had to. His water pump broke. He used the same one I did. Uh-huh. Um, his broke somewhere pretty close to Nova Scotia or Newfoundland. Huh. So he had to have somebody bring out another one. Oh, wow. But he was that. able to then just go Keep and make going. it through without uh, hmm. having to stop. And hmm. one of the reasons that I wanted to do that, besides just another big epic voyage, was mm-hmm. so on my trip around the world, once I got north of the Southern Ocean in the South Atlantic and I'm headed north, I get mm-hmm. through the variables. Yeah. I think I've been out like, maybe 230 days, 220. Yeah. And I hit three days of like that perfect 12 to 15 knot wind. Yeah. Fluffy. Yeah. Trade wind squalls. Yeah. Not really any swell. And just like the boat was on rails and we were just flying. And I wasn't, I didn't have to push the boat obviously because I'm not racing, Mm -hmm. but they were the three best days I've ever had on a (laughs) sailboat because only because the relief of, you know, the past four and a half months battling yeah. around, being worried about, you know, the cold and the water and all this other stuff. And I thought to myself, I want more of that, but I want it bigger. And mm. the only way I figured I could do that was to add in, you know, essentially almost another circumnavigation <laughs> just to get to that point and be like, oh, my God. Like, that's where I feel like I would start to, like, hallucinate and see God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be like, I've done it. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. But, I mean, all the voyages that I go on, even if it's just to sail down to the Caribbean or something, mm. that whole, like, it's really crummy out and this really sucks. Yeah. Makes, you know, three days <laughs> later when the sun comes out. Glorious. And, yeah, and it's something that I've been able to sort of bring into life on land. Yeah. And, and all that. But it's it's hard. I mean, you've only been back in the States for how long? Uh, three weeks, four, yeah. maybe Holy four cow. weeks. So it's still real. Four weeks. The adventure's still fresh. Well, it is in some ways, but it's funny how quick it, you know, slips your yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah, true, right? Yeah, it's... It's really bizarre. You know, one of the first books I started to read, and I'm barely a chapter in still, because it's funny how much you read at sea and then oh, get back on land. I What's no a book? I forgot how to read, you know? <laughs> yeah, no distractions. That's the beauty of it. And But in, like, the first chapter, he, like, goes on this big walkabout around, I think, England or something, and then and he gets really sick after, like, the year of walking and ends up in a hospital, and then he, like, looks... 
And then it describes him like crawling to the window to see like the countryside he just spent a year walking from or, you know, through. Oh, wow. And he like already can't remember. Everything looks different from the hospital window. Really? And I'm like, I kind of feel in a way as soon as I stepped off the boat and especially even leaving Australia and leaving second wind there, I've been like, did that really happen? Like all of it just seems distant. Like, if I got on a sailboat to sail it right now, I'm like, would I know what to do? <laughs> you know? I'm like, but I would. I know it's like riding a bike, but hey, no, it's funny. I get the nerves, you know. Every, every time you every get time back. I'm about to leave for the, dock, the next yeah. voyage. Like that first 24 hours it's, is always like, did I do that? Or yeah. Like, and then you have to put your first reef in and you're like bumbling around. <laughs> you're like, dude, I have done this literally thousands <laughs> of times. But... <laughs> You know, after, you know, a couple hundred days out there, you could pretty much put a blindfold on. Yeah, and do just handle the whole boat. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like, I smell a squall. <laughs> yeah. I've got three minutes. Yeah, honestly, though. <laughs> <laughs> Holy smokes. So, the boat's over there. Yeah, yeah. You still own it? What's, what's yeah, the it's plan? Yeah, it's still in my name. I'm trying to not get it in my name. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, it's for sale. Um, yeah, it's kind of tough right now trying to decide you know, somebody put like a pretty low offer in and, but he's a young guy and, um, says he wants to do GGR 26 and he's, you know, from Australia and stuff. So more inclined to, I'd rather see the boat sailing and, you know, kept up well at least and yeah. rather than just rotting somewhere and making one trip to the nearby island in West Australia once a year, you know? So, um, I might end up having to go with him to, just make my ends meet because I'm, you know, I'm moving to California in a few weeks and or less now. And then, uh, you know, I don't have a car. I don't have any money. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I got to get a car. I got to get more tools so I can work and, you know, and or, you know, get my captain's license finally and do charter work or something. But so it's like I, I probably should start fresh with something in my pocket rather than letting another bill you know, yeah, and a boat start. Yeah. You know, it's gonna be the rainy season there. It's gonna start leaking, and I'm not. You there don't to have fix anybody it. to keep an eye on it. For <laughs> it do you? Keep an eye on it, yeah, but not anybody that's gonna work on it or right, fix right. things. They might look at it and be like, "Yeah, it's getting pretty dirty." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dirty I'll pump the night. pump the bilge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <coughs> well, I I definitely commend you on that. I've always thought that uh, if I had the choice <laughs> between selling the boat to somebody who wanted to fix it up and make Sparrow look like a brand new West sale or almost give it away to some 25 year old. That's like, dude, I want to go around the world. Yeah. Probably be like, well, here you go. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. And I don't know if that's a reality or uh, not. Yeah. But it's a very I mean, romantic for me, like, outlook yeah. on it. I mean, my old boat wasn't anything special and wasn't worth a lot, but I almost gave it away um, <laughs> to this young guy and now he's sailing the hell out of it and he refit it too. And, Oh, really? looks gr- looks amazing. He's done a great job, and I'm you know he sends me updates on the boat and him sailing it, and I'm like stoked. I'm, I'm so happy, you know. I gave it away for less than I wanted, a lot yeah. less than I wanted. So I know I feel that feel that way about Second Wind. And there's just so much connection to me and the Second Wind. It it, it was uh, it's not gonna be easy to let it go, but you know reality is is. Uh, money you need it sometimes yeah it? so it's all good and there's gonna be other boats and you know there's you know maybe i come back to it one day who knows but 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and again, that's that's one of the nice parts about being the age that you are. Yeah. You got a whole, whole world in front of you, man. <laughs> yeah, totally. For sure. And, you know, I it, from the sounds of it, you're going to use and abuse it. Yeah, I love definitely. it. You know, that's the, the way to go for sure. Well, let me ask you this. How, how uh, comfortable are you uh, speaking in public in front of groups of people? I've gotten a lot more comfortable with it. Yeah. It wasn't. It was always kind of a fear of mine growing up, but. Uh, something I could kind of push past and then just with all the exposure talking to people all the time and uh, before the race and then at in France like speaking in front of all the crowd of people at times or like a lot of interviews f- video stuff like podcast stuff and yeah I feel pretty comfortable with it now yeah yeah I think it's a good challenge and something that I've grown a lot in so it's kind of exciting I also really like writing so I have thought about writing a book about yeah, and just <coughs> at first I was like, well, I didn't finish. I can't write a book. And I was like, oh no, it's more reason to do it, story. Yeah, you know, yeah, because yeah. that's like what I was saying. Like, reality is sometimes you don't finish what you started, and that's okay. And I want like people to still feel encouraged by my story in whatever way they need to hear it. That you know, you know, to f- and, you know, because my whole thing was I was trying to push this, the idea that. You know, in some ways, I was so unqualified to do what I did. You right. know, I was least experienced, least, you know, just the a long shot. Yeah, no right. money, you know, no time. Everything was stacked against me, and I made it more farther than most of the people in the race. So, you know, I want people to be encouraged by that, whatever their adversities are, whether it's, you know, something they're born into or something that they're struggling in another way. and that they can do big, amazing things. And even if it doesn't work out all the way they think it will, like something else. So it's for the right reason, as long as you push yourself and, you well, know, and so you why not write about experience. that? Yeah. Right. Well, and, and you come out with it, with this experience <laughs> and with this, you know, knowledge of mm-hmm. what, what happens and the choices that you make in real time when things get bad. Right. And so, you know, that about you. most people don't even get a chance to even test that. Right. In their lives. No. And, and you had the full on yeah, experience. Definitely. Well, yeah. I, I, I would listen to a talk <laughs> if you gave one. Do you have uh, uh, like a cache of like footage from the trip? Yeah, I do. We were, you know, they really wanted to push us to like video a ton. Mm-hmm. And I videoed a lot in the first, in the Atlantic. And then by the time I got around South Africa, I was like, I'm tired of videoing. Yeah, Especially yeah. in the Southern Ocean, everything looks the damn same. I know, right? Like, there's only the so much albatross. Yeah, there's only so much albatross <laughs> you can film. And you're like, all right. Yeah, like, right. These guys are cool, but I'm getting a little. That was definitely something I had started to realize. Like, maybe that's another reason my trip ended a little early because I started to lose, like, uh, the interest in all of it. I started, at some point in the Indian Ocean, I was especially after I started limping the boat. And it's like driving a car with, you know, two spare tires. Yeah, it's sort of like this road trip's <laughs> over. Yeah, it's like, and you're just like, oh, man, it's so uncomfortable. The boat's not performing the way it should, like, and it's unsafe and this and that. So I started, like, not really caring to go out of my cabin, stopped, like, you know, I was just reading ferociously at this point and, like, binge eating, like, all my food because I had, yeah, more than I thought now. So much yeah, now. and so I was just like pounding no away everything. Left. Oh yeah, that ran out quick. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it was 
some ways I think it could have been a blessing that I wasn't uh, not maybe not prepared enough for so much time. Yeah, yeah. And then also that maybe like I was too young and like you know I just want to still do so many things. And right, right, right. I get bored easily. Maybe it's something uh, to do. A little HGHD. Yeah. ADHD. ADHD. Yeah, yeah. It could be. Yeah. <laughs> so, would you do it yeah. again if you uh, were given the chance? You know, as in, like in the future. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Maybe not the race or anything. But is is sailing around, around the world. world? Yeah. Is that something you think? I mean, I definitely want to finish the circumnavigation. I I plan on it firmly. Yeah. Um, and maybe that means like getting a boat in America. You know, something will bigger or something and sailing it through the pacific take my time cruising and then get to australia and then do a big jump from uh, maybe go to new zealand for a little bit and then do new zealand under the horn nice nice. i definitely want to go around the horn um yeah yeah, and i will definitely but there's (laughs) for the listeners his eyes just like brightened (laughs) up and they got real beamy (laughs) yeah so no, I will, and I'm excited about that one day, but it's not somewhere in the exact near future, or maybe it is, and I don't know it, but um, yeah, I don't know. I definitely will keep sailing and do ocean voyages. They're amazing, but yeah, I don't know if I'm committed to doing the whole thing nonstop around, but maybe. Who knows? Yeah, you never know. Maybe I, GGR, maybe not this GGR coming up, but maybe another one one day, and because I love the retro aspect. I love it. It's, oh, it's so epic, man. There's something about it. It's like no, it straight is. out of a book, man. No, it's so it's so exciting. And I mean, in some ways, like we were talking about, like not having weather is a little scary. But in yeah, some ways, I'm like, I who would. cares? I can't really avoid it. I mean, like, you know, like even what you I remember reading your part where, you know, I, did you have a two lows that kind of conjoined or something? Or your brother's texting you and he's like, watch out for this and you're like hush and you're like do i go north or south basically oh and you make a decision but it's like <laughs> if you don't have that weather information like i think either way you're gonna get slammed by that yeah, shit you know that might have been i, I cut in front of uh some hurricane cyclone irving that's in the what Indian ocean because yeah. i was like i can't the smart move would have been to go the other direction, go mm. back to the west, because then at least I would be hit by the lighter winds. Right, the light side of it. And, you know, I ended up getting, that was my first knockdown that night. Right. Um, but I was just one of those things, yeah, where I was like, I got to keep moving. I got to get out of the <laughs> Southern Ocean. I just, like, started. Started, it. yeah. I'm like, get me out of here. <laughs> well, I, dude, I know we're, we're getting close here on time, but. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, one of the things that I did want to relay out of all my experiences, I end up with like a, I call it post-adventure depression. Mm. And it comes in waves and uh, it usually lasts like, I don't know, a couple of months for me, hmm. typically until I find myself getting back into like a bit more of a healthy routine mm. of getting the exercise, starting to book mm. like, you know, things like speaking gigs or being more productive and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but usually there's about two months where I'm kind of like, Ugh, 
Yeah. This just sucks. I don't even <laughs> want to do anything. Like, I got to catch up on Netflix. And yeah. I'll be like, that's my priority. And yeah, I definitely did that a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's a hundred percent. I think it's a hundred percent natural, but it does sort mm. of fade. And I, I've always found that, um, one of the things that pulls you, pulls me out of it is sort of investigating through other people, other possibilities of different trips, whether mm. it be, you know, hiking or, anything you know just something else they look forward to you're saying yeah there's like a whole world of stuff that, that you can do and and i i don't know what it would be like to be sort of like you were on the world stage and then leave that yeah it's weird i feel like that would be pretty difficult um yeah cause so in some ways you know i i have to admit to myself there's like you like we were saying like the little ego builds yeah. up and you know you got like thousands of people like literally Ellie. yeah it's crazy Ellie. like the other day it was the f the first day i got back here at uh st augustine me and my girlfriend go to the beach and and this guy gets out of the water and i didn't even, i wasn't even surfing that day or something and this guy gets out of the water and he's like you elliot and i'm like oh god <laughs> and then I like go to the coffee shop and this girl's like are you elliot and i'm like oh no wow. you know but it's already settled thank god but um no, in some ways it, it does, it, you know, it sneaks in there. I try to be a humble person, but it sneaks in there and you're like, oh, cool. I'm, I'm a cool guy. I've done well, something fucking yeah. cool, you know, and people want to, people look up to me and it feels good. And it's not a bad thing that people, I'm really happy and proud that I've led a life that somebody can be inspired by. Like, that's awesome. That's a big part of why I wanted to do it is to give back to all the people that have inspired me, you yeah. know? So I've no issue with that but then yeah coming back down you're like now nobody really gives a shit yeah, <laughs> right. it's like it's like oh okay like all right i'm not what are you gonna do next? yeah yeah you exactly know? well i i do know from experience uh if you do want little doses of that mm. and i i'd definitely be able to sort of help you uh in some aspects of this but if you can put together like a 45 minute or hour long presentation mm. There's a lot of people that would love to hear this story, hmm. and um, there's a lot of corporate things that will actually pay you a decent amount of money wow. to stand there and, and tell them about it, and and they can pull their lessons, mm. you know, of how to run their little companies and things like that. Yeah, from how you were able to, you know, overcome all that adversity and yeah. that sort of stuff. But when you do those, especially like yacht clubs, and I even do like assisted living places, retirement homes, and oh, stuff. Oh, cool. Dude, you get fanned out. People are like, Whoa, <laughs> you did what? So if I got to build my ego, I'll do a speech yeah, somewhere. You can, well, but you know, keep it in check. You don't yeah, want to do yeah. it always, but you know, here and there, it's pretty nice. That's so funny. Well, uh, Elliot, I can't thank you enough, man. Yeah, this man, is, this absolutely been fantastic, dude. And and we'll definitely have to stay in touch. And, yeah, uh, for sure. I'm hoping after this summer to hit the road with the podcast and then with a bunch of speaking stuff. Okay. So. You, Hitting the road on the boat or oh, on, no, no, on no. the car? Boats can be out of the water, but uh, uh, okay. hitting the car. Doing the East Coast first, and then I'm hoping to get out to San Francisco September sometime. Okay. And then work my way up and down, um, trying to book book stuff. So Sweet. who knows? Maybe we can do a double one yeah. in San Diego. Oh, that'd be sick. That'd be pretty fun, man. Yeah, man. Definitely hit me up if you're coming west. I got homies along the whole coast, so. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, any parting words or I think we can just end it too. It doesn't matter. I, I don't like yeah. putting people on the spot. Like, <laughs> well, you got to say something to recap. Here's the, this is what it comes down to. <laughs> 
Um, hmm, let's see. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a bow tie finish, I guess, is the lesson I Ooh, had I to like learn, that. you know? It doesn't have to be so a bow we'll tie just, finish. So we'll just cut it hard right now, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought that was your words of wisdom. Oh, yeah, well, it worked both ways. It does, yeah. dude. Oh, that's awesome. Allie, thank you so much yeah, for man. coming on, man. Absolutely.